Well, <laughs> this Stephen? Oh, well. <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> it's your day. It's your turn. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> The information that we can acquire about physical health to eat properly, to exercise properly, and the whole array of things that we can do to maintain our physical health is useful, beneficial, uh, necessary, and valuable. And often, the goal of those exercise or dietary paths is not liberation of mind. And so we really need to look carefully to see what is the goal of this physical or dietary program. And yes, we do have to carefully monitor and acknowledge our own physical needs, exercise, dietary, etc. 
And just as Michelle said, and as you have found, eating carefully, exercising appropriately, is necessary. And it's compassionate, and it's an expression of wisdom. When any of those becomes a obsession, uh, a compulsion, that is not uh, supporting or supported by true insight wisdom, then it is not skillful in leading to liberation of mind. So, I didn't mean to say, and maybe in my uh, presentation I did convey the sense that, oh, we should ignore all dietary and, and exercise uh, conditions. I don't, I don't think I said that. I don't think I meant, and I certainly didn't mean that. But I meant to suggest that we need a balanced understanding of any physical or dietary program so that our confidence in it is balanced by our true experiential wisdom of it and understand that an attachment to a belief system, dietary or exercise, can, that attachment can impede our sense of our progress towards or our experience of liberated mind. Right. Time with some very restricted diet uh, due to an idea, or that this was a, you know, a very purifying da 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 whatever, and it was such that I couldn't even, I couldn't eat a thing in my mother's house. Now there wasn't one thing I could eat because it was you know canned and frozen and processed in some way, until she finally had just fresh fruit and, and fresh vegetables, I could eat that. And it caused a lot of tension in my family relations, my family, my relationship to my family. And I expressed all this to the teacher. And then he said, as I acknowledged last night, the harm you do by hanging on to that idea about that diet is far worse than if you just go eat a McDonald's hamburger. And I think that's true. <laughs> Your turn. Did you eat the hamburger? <laughs> I did one. <laughs> I no longer eat McDonald's hamburgers. <laughs> For other reasons. Any other questions about Steve's talk? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
that's right. <laughs> In the in the talk last night, when I mentioned the material base of the heart or the mind, mm-hmm. I did include, I did say thoughts and also say, oh, they're both material. I didn't mean to. Thoughts definitely aren't material <laughs> experience. The base of the mind in Buddhist in the Buddha's understanding is, but thoughts obviously, well, I think obvious are not. Well, we're on the subject. <laughs> this, this point is so important, I want to bring it up, I think. There's one point that it didn't go But we were talking about slamming the door. Remember, if you, and noting slamming the door, connection with aversion. And you said this to the punchline. When you slam the door, if you don't know hearing, you're going to suffer. But I thought you meant to say, if you don't know hearing unpleasant, the feeling turns. In the noting of the hearing of an unpleasant, just in the noting of hearing, it will be known that the quality is unpleasant. Okay. You know. That seems sort of crucial. Mm-hmm. The noting of hearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can exercise your attachment in all of its multifarious forms. It's in Burma. <laughs> they have a lot of meat there. Not much vegetables. The Buddhists, you know, when I first got involved in this meditation, I had this idea that, well, all Buddhists must be vegetarians. And then I asked somebody, they said, well, no, the monks, when they go, you know, just to get whatever they're given, they accept whatever they're given and they eat it, including meat. And, um, so I, I, I assume it's kind of a mixed bag then among people who call themselves Buddhists and practice Buddhism, whether they eat meat or not. 
<laughs> well. <laughs> it is a mixed bag. <laughs> I mean, when, when the Buddha um, spoke in his time and his culture, it was exactly as you just described, that the monks and the nuns went on alms round, that uh, they were specifically... Um, not supposed to go to only wealthy people's homes, you know, but, but to a wide range, you know, whatever they came upon, whoever they came upon. And they were supposed to accept whatever was offered, unless they had the thought that the meat, the thought or the knowledge that the meat had been killed, the animal had been killed particularly for them. You know, so if they just came upon somebody's house and they were offered meat, they were supposed to take it and not refuse it. If they had even the thought that, oh, you know, these people went out and killed that chicken for me, then they were not supposed to take it. So how that translates into our time and our culture to uh, lay people or householders who go out to the supermarket, you know, and buy meat perhaps, um, or order it in a restaurant, there's no knowing you know, in, in terms of a specific teaching on the part of the Buddha, it really comes down to people's own understanding and sensitivity in terms of what they, they do. And so in now, in these times, there's a tremendous variety within Asian culture, within Buddhist culture, in terms of whether very committed Buddhists will eat meat or not. You know, many do, and many don't. Well, it's time to walk. <laughs> it was wonderful being with you this morning. <laughs> I'll come back. <laughs> Sometimes it appears that the mind has the energy to contact the pain. Sometimes it doesn't. When it has the energy to contact it, sometimes the Appears, its nature appears clear, sometimes not so clear, and sometimes unclear. Is it possible to improve the clarity of the scene by applying things like effort and will, or is the ability to see clear once the contact is made? not dependent on will or effort, and it's better than not to move forward, but to settle back and just let what arrives, arise. <laughs> Mostly the second. When you're with the pain and the, the energy is there to actually connect with it, but in some way it's not clear uh, I think often the lack of clarity is because there's too much efforting, you know, or wanting something out of it. Or, and often the greatest clarity about whatever is present comes from the ability really to settle back and let however it is be there. Um, 
Because you can be mindful You can be aware even of a state that is not clear. You just frame that whole state. Okay, cloudiness is present, or fuzziness is present. You know, and in that, in the settling back behind that, often clarity emerges because you're not overlaying it with anything else. That's on one side. (laughs) On the other side, if when you make contact and it's not clear and you find the mind slipping off from the contact, then the application of or the arousing somewhat of the investigative mind can help to keep the contact close. But that's only if you find the mind really drifting off, drifting away. Also, let me encourage you in all of this really to experiment. You know, because at different times and for different kinds of minds, sometimes you'll find it more helpful one way, sometimes more helpful the other. You know the story of Ajahn Chah, go left, go right, this is this great Thai master, and one of his students came to him complaining because he would uh, sometimes hear him give one set of instructions to one person, and then he'd hear him give a completely opposite set of instructions to another. And this irritated this person. You know, why aren't you more consistent? And Ajahn Chah said, you know, it's like somebody walking down a road. If you see them veering off to the right, So you'll shout out, go left, go left. If you see them veering off to the left, so you'll say, go right, go right. And the practice is very much like that. So there's no no one iron-clad way of doing it. It's always kind of adjusting to see what is conducive to the most awareness, to being mindful. Mindfulness is easy. It's not... It's difficult to remember to be mindful, but the mindfulness itself is simply being there for what is arising, whatever it is. One of the, in the Satipatthana Sutta, where they go through the four foundations of mindfulness, the body of feelings, of mental states, and the fourth foundation is difficult to translate. It's called mindfulness of the Dhamma. And so it includes a lot of, a lot of the things that aren't in the first three. One of the ways that's described, mindfulness of the Dhamma, is mindfulness of whether the different factors of enlightenment are present or not present. So you would become aware, is is mindfulness or investigation or interest or energy, is this present in the mind now or is it not present? And that always interested me because mindfulness of it not being present is in fact mindfulness. You're aware that energy is low, or you're aware that there's confusion. That's mindfulness of the Dhamma. What about when you become aware that you're not 
Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. In the moment that you notice that you haven't been aware, that you've been lost, in that moment, you're present again. And probably what's happening is a going back and forth between intervals, however long or short, of being lost, of being carried away, of non-knowing. And then all of a sudden the mind, even for a moment, realizes that I've been lost. I haven't been present. In that very moment, mindfulness is present again. That's a good first step. <laughs> Sometimes what I found, it, it is quite amazing to me, for myself and many people, mindfulness around food and around eating, it's really elusive. <laughs> and it just shows how deep our conditioning is. You know, the, the habit patterns we have one thing I found helpful in that regard, I mean, sometimes, you know, it's to make the effort to really be precise in the whole sequence of what happens. But sometimes I find that's just too frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And so what can be more helpful is sometimes I sit and just take in the whole, it's as if I'm outside just watching the whole body, the whole event, rather than getting microscopic in the details of the sequence. You follow? It's like sitting and just watching the whole thing. Uh, and often I find that that creates a kind of balance. You know, so not just completely caught up in the, in the momentum of the, of the craving. It's like you watch yourself. <laughs> Bird's eye view. You could try. For, again, for some minds, that will work well. Yeah, I, I would try that. <laughs> Something I mentioned last night, which I think is probably the thing that has helped me the most. Usually we undertake too much. We have a program or an agenda in the mind, okay, I'm going to really be mindful for this sitting. <laughs> I mean, that's hopeless. You know, it's like we're just living in this dream. That the intentionality of our effort has to be very limited. It's just a, a reminder, a repeat again. You know, we can be aware of a single breath, of a single step. And so just to reframe the effort. And you do that again and again until the mind gets into the habit 
of a close attention for a single breath, and then another breath, or a single step. We've got one on karma. Uh, could you distinguish between the terms, uh, or among the terms, uh, intention, intention, or volition, yeah, intention, volition, maybe motive and will, and uh, in what sense, if you're in a reactive mode, say you don't have much mindfulness focus, and you act in that reactive mode, in what sense is that volitional? Okay. Intention, volition, intention, volition, and will are all used synonymously. Motivation has to do with the factors of mind, the particular mental factors associated with the will or intention. Intention or volition or will, that's a neutral factor. That's just this organizing function in the mind towards an activity. It organizes all of the other factors towards a specific object or activity. So intention is neutral. It can be wholesome. It can be, it can be associated with wholesome or unwholesome. Motivation has to do with seeing what associated factors are present. In other words, there's an intention to move. That volition or that will to move, that's ethically neutral. But what's associated with it? Is it associated with desire, with grasping, with compassion? That's what we're calling motivation. And so that's, that's the key. You know, that saying in the Dharma, everything rests on the tip of motivation. And so it's, that's a very powerful statement. And it's like, you can really see everything comes down just to that tip. What's the motivation associated with our volitions? I love the just the, the exactness of it. The Dalai Lama said something like the most important thing is what's in your heart when you act. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess you answered the part of what in a reactive mode. In a reactive mode, mostly what's associated with it is whatever mental factors are there plus delusion. <laughs> Meaning we don't know. We're not it's the opposite of being aware or mindful. It's in this regard and something that's quite interesting to me and runs counter to our common sense. From this point of view, it's better to do an unskillful act knowing it's unskillful than to do an unskillful act not knowing it's unskillful. You know, and this, normally we would think, well, you know, they didn't know it was bad, so it's okay. It's sort of a mitigating. From the Buddhist point of view, not only is it not mitigating, it's adding delusion to everything else. And what's so difficult about that situation, as long as we don't know that something is unskillful, there's really no possibility of transformation. But if we do something unskillfully and we know, but we still do it, the force is there, still there's that seed of wisdom, there's that seed of understanding which can grow into some future restraint you know, of that action. So it's very, it's very subtle. Um, I 
When you got up, how carefully did you go from sitting to standing to walking? Was there a real continuity of mindfulness? There was. Okay. One thing you can do, uh, you may have to adjust or experiment with the speed that you walk, that you walk. Because at different times, depending on the amount of energy, uh, sometimes it's appropriate to be moving very slowly, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes, uh, to be most mindful, you might have to be moving more quickly for some period of time. Uh, and so I would just, when you're walking and you feel that you're off balance with the mindfulness, you know, that maybe there's too much, you're feeling that there's too much energy and it's restless, and experiment with the speed in both directions. Now, until you find just that speed which is appropriate to the energy you have for staying most mindful. Uh, because it's not always the same. It's not always the same. Sometimes people have the idea that it's always good to be moving as slowly as you can. And that hasn't been my experience at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. In that situation, it might have been more appropriate to actually have the body moving more quickly. Not spacing out, staying right there in your body, but just more quickly, and things might have gotten harmonized. Have a nice day. (laughs) One request that was made... uh, As you all have discovered, there are a great variety of experiences in meditation. And sometimes we need to be with them, and sometimes we need to do them. Initially, though, we need to recognize what's going on. And that um, is actually a state of being, that recognition is being. But sometimes we have to do a lot to get to that state of being. You know, we have to, we have to bring ourselves into the present. However we have to do, however we do that. And different conditions of being in their unpleasantness require more doing. And so we might have to uh, encourage ourselves, inspire ourselves, uh, review our Uh, signs of samadhi, bring our energy into balance with our concentration, bring our confidence in balance with our understanding of wisdom. And so, you're right, there are times when we be and sometimes when we do. And it's for each of us to notice those differences in our practice and which experiences Uh, require 
which mode of awareness so that we can maintain continuity of knowing or mindfulness. So there's both. About the noting, first question, in your awareness of the experience, and we'll use thinking, if in your awareness when you snap to and you realize, oh, I've been drifting, I've been thinking, I've been wandering in the mind, whatever, in that very moment of recognition, there may be the recognition of what kind of thinking it is, that it's fantasy, that it's comparing, that it's judging. There may not. You may just know, oh, I've been lost in thought, and immediately the mind goes back to the present most predominant experience, which may be your primary object, it may be something else. In that case, fine. Whatever your mind recognizes, if it immediately dissipates, so to speak, and you uh, quite naturally go back to primary or predominant object, fine. A time to be more specific in the um, noting, in the labeling of the experience, is when you find that you're repeatedly drawn into a particular scenario or a particular line of thinking, and you note it, and you come back to the present moment, and and instantly you're back in that similar vein of thought, then you might you might get a little more specific and say, okay, no, just what's, what's the energy behind this recurring obsessive thinking? Oh, it's comparing mind, or it's judging mind, or it's fantasy, or it's desire, or it's uh, narrating, or it's rehearsing, or it's whatever. And we have a whole variety of these things. In time, we get familiar with them, and the recognition in the moment that I've been drifting comes with the recognition that, oh, it's comparing, oh, it's rehearsing, it's judging, it's... And so in time, the specificity 
increases, but we don't need to intentionally uh, do that all the time. You certainly don't need to stop the flow of your attention to get out your dictionary and look. No. If it comes, the recognition of what it is, fine. If it doesn't, fine. Working with motivation, here we're developing really close attention to our every physical and mental action, or trying to. And we see that, indeed, we act a lot out of unclear motivations because we do not notice our intention. We're just reacting. And we see here quite clearly how much of our physical, verbal, and if you're pretty sharp, how much of our mental activity is out of control. And we're not aware of it. We're not aware why we do certain things. Increasingly, though, we become aware that, you know, we avoid pain and we seek pleasure. And that's a large part of the motivation in our existence as mindless beings. As we become more aware of the pervasive nature and the unhappy making tendencies of that type of behavior, then we can uh, cultivate intentions based on wholesome roots in the consciousness of generosity, love, kindness, compassion, sharing, um, understanding, and more, more inclusive motivations and motivations that tend to uh, create happiness. And so we can work with them. And until we see what presently exists, we can't work, we can't change it, we can't work with it. Because we don't even know that that exists in our life as a possibility. If we never see our motivations or intentions, how can we work with them? We can't. And so here we really are are developing the ability to recognize our motivations and to honestly and very sincerely acknowledge what they are. And it's difficult because a lot of our motivations and the truth of it is we are greedy, needy little machines (laughs) that want to get from me and mine and feel good. And we want to get away from pain and discomfort. If you don't acknowledge that, at whatever level you experience it, you can't become full of light and love. You just can't. You can overlay temporarily. But that's not getting at the roots. And insight is getting at the roots. Concentration practice overlays. They're both skillful. Skillful. This is the big world. (laughs) (laughs) And you can never do anything anymore. 
it's, it doesn't, as we become aware, and we become aware of the unhappiness or the difficulty or the suffering or the, the narrowness of our life acting from self-interest only, then it's not a major effort, really, to move towards more inclusive and wholesome states of mind in the world at large or here when we, you know, when we see. And it's, it, you know, you may have some unnecessary fears of in the world at large, I'm going to be even less mindful and less aware of what my motivations are. Not so, not so. The practice that we do here in waking up to our motivations and intentions, I won't say it carries over to the same degree of sensitivity in our life in a less mindful environment, but it does come that the, 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 our motivations and intentions does come piercing through our consciousness a lot more frequently in the world at large. And so, all the work you do here is not just for here. It really does decondition the mind from mindless motivation and intentions, and it really reconditions the mind to act from uh, motivations of inclusiveness, understanding, generosity, and love. It does. I mean, we're slowly, slowly eroding eroding the conditioning of self-interest and reconditioning um, motivations for uh, inclusive inclusivity. Another brief question? Not a brief question. Well, no. Maybe, maybe, we'll see. It's a koan. <laughs> Your explanation yesterday of what the Buddha may have meant about his mind being the unconditioned was very helpful. I would also be interested to know from, from you what We got ten seconds, and the answer is yes. <laughs> or, as in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, forty-two. <laughs> I'll think about that. Maybe it'll come up somewhere later. But thanks for the question. <laughs> I still have these questions that I thought I would get to. 
and maybe maybe in the